Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. On today's show, Claire Fuller on her latest novel, The Memory of Animals. Claire Fuller is the author of four previous novels, Unsettled Ground, which in 2021 won the Costa Novel Award and was shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction, Our Endless Numbered Days, which won the Desmond Elliott Prize, Swimming Lessons, which was shortlisted for the RSL Encore Award, and Bitter Orange. And today we're going to be talking about Claire's latest novel, which is The Memory of Animals. Claire, welcome back to Little Atoms. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back. So first of all, as usual, tell us how you would describe this novel. The Memory of Animals is about a 27-year-old woman called Nephi, who is a marine biologist. And there is a virus going around and she signs up for a vaccine trial. And when she's in this unit, she has a bad reaction to the vaccine and she is kind of unconscious for a few days. When she comes round, the virus has mutated into a worldwide pandemic and everybody else in the unit has left apart from four strangers and she is stuck inside with them. And at the same time, one of the strangers, Leon, has brought with him a piece of new technology that Nephi uses and really becomes addicted to that allows her to revisit her own memories. And how did this novel about a pandemic come about is my next (laughs) question. Well, it is quite a good question, even though, you know, people might make assumptions because I started it before the pandemic we all live through. So I started it in September 2019. So six months before the first lockdown and, you know, four months before we'd even heard of a pandemic as a possibility. And really it started because, well, first of all, I I love post-apocalyptic novels. I love reading them. Um, And I have always kind of wanted to try my hand at that. I mean, in a way... Our Endless Number Days, my first novel, has some elements of that, but I wanted to write a proper one. And at the same time, my son's friend told me about this drug trial that he had done, which was called Flu Camp. I don't know if it's still running, uh, where people could go along if they were suitable. They were given a 
uh, flu vaccine and the flu, and it was to test their reaction and to test how well the vaccine worked. And they had to stay in a room in a unit in London for two weeks in isolation, being tested and so on. And they were paid several thousand pounds for the for doing it. So lots of students did it. And when he told me about this, I just thought, oh, that could that's just a fascinating scenario, a starting place for a novel. And I signed up for flu camp and went through all the tests. There were psychological tests. And then I had to go to London and have blood tests and so on. But um, I had too many antibodies, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, but I couldn't I couldn't do it. But that's that's kind of where it started. Yeah, well, I guess I was just thinking this sounds great. I might sign up for this myself, but I'm in I'm of the age now where I get a yearly flu vaccine. So I imagine that's probably one of the reasons why I would be uh, I would be cancelled out of that. Yeah. Um. So you were obviously writing this then before we spoke previously about um, Unsettled Ground. And I wanted to talk about because since we spoke about that book, obviously it went on to it went on to win the Costa. So I just wanted to say before we actually go on to talk about Nephi and, and the other people in this book, just something about the reception of that novel. Well, it was so unexpected. Uh, you know, you write a novel, you put it out there. I really have no idea how it's going to be, what the reception is going to be like. And so it was just shocking and astounding and wonderful. You know, I couldn't have wished for more, really. You know, the, even though it didn't win the Women's Prize and it didn't win the overall Costa Prize, those things actually didn't matter. I felt like I was a winner anyway. And uh, and the fact that it was the last Costa, which is just so sad, but the, you know, the 50th Costa and, and they gave me this... Um, a print which had all the novel winners and they've just, you know, amazing names, authors that I have been reading for years and years and years. And there's my name on this list. It's just quite bizarre and wonderful. So tell us something more about Nephi then, who is our protagonist. It's a first person novel. Tell us who she is. So she, yeah, she's 27, as I said, and she spent a year doing medicine, studying medicine, and then decided that she wanted to be a marine biologist and specialise in octopuses. And then she gets her first job in a lab that is studying regeneration of octopus arms. So when, a, when an octopus loses an arm, it will regrow an arm, a very good arm, as good as all its other arms. And what she didn't realise when she got this job, which was quite a prestigious job, is that they would, of course, be chopping off some of the octopus arms in order to test the regeneration. And she is shocked and devastated and can't really cope with that. And she feeds a live crab to one of the octopuses, almost in kind of sympathy. And, um, and she almost destroys the trial and she's sacked. And then she gets another job in an aquarium and she does an even more silly thing in terms of her employer. And she ends up owing the aquarium lots of money. And so she has to take this. She signs up for the vaccine trial, partly because she needs the money, but also there's lots of stuff been happening with her and her father, uh, who is Greek and needs a kidney transplant and she feels guilty for what's been happening with him and so signing up for the trial is partly to do with that as well 
tell us something more about her parents because her um, father and and mother are, are separated and live in different countries. Tell us something about both of them. Yeah, her mother is English, British, and her father is half Greek and grew up part of the part of his time in Greece. And then when he was, uh, after he got divorced, he decided to go back to the island of Paxos and he remarried an American woman called Margot and he opens a, a hotel uh, on the beach, on a beach in Paxos. But he's not really a very good businessman, but also the economy is collapsing in Greece and it's not not a very good time to be having a a hotel. But he is quite a dreamer, he's quite idealistic, but he loves his daughter, she loves him, and she spends a lot of time in Greece with him and Margot, who she gets on really well with, who loves her husband. We don't hear a huge amount about Nephi's mother, kind of deliberately, really. I I didn't want to write about a daughter-mother relationship as I had done in lots of my previous novels. And let's talk a bit more about her love for the octopus, because, I mean, they are incredible creatures. I, like, although I'm not a vegetarian like she is, but I, in a in a sort of rather sentimental and completely irrational way, refuse to eat octopus because they're just such incredibly intelligent and interesting and alien-like animals. Although, obviously, you know, so are pigs are amazing animals as well. So, as I said, it's completely <laughs> irrational. However, yeah, no octopus for me. Um, but tell us something about your, your research into the octopus. Yeah, well, it's the same for me. I don't eat octopus. And, it, and if this book, changes anyone's mind about eating octopus then that's that's good by me i've always loved them i this i don't i don't know really know why but i've always loved or been interested in cephalopods and when before i was a writer and before even i had kind of a proper job i was a sculptor and i used to sculpt lots of cephalopods and often ammonites because of the shapes of their shells. I have an ammonite tattoo with its tentacles. And I also worked a lot in glass and I made kind of squid lamps. And it's quite hard to describe. But anyway, I was a little bit obsessed with the shapes and the bodies of certain cephalopods, octopuses, squid and uh, ammonites. But I didn't really know anything about them. But I've always loved them. And I had to find very early on a, a job for Nephi. And I can't even remember where that came from. But I decided she would be a marine biologist specialising in octopuses. And I had to do a lot of octopus research. And and that the film, um, the Netflix film, My Octopus Teacher, came out some way through when I was writing this book. But I don't know if you've seen that, Neil, but it's, you know, it's an amazing... Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah. It, I was reminded of that film uh, yeah. in some points during the book, for sure. Yeah. So so Nephi has this strong, strong attachment to octopuses, and she sees her first when she's snorkelling in Greece, um, when she's staying at her father's hotel, and then she just becomes obsessed with them. And... I had to go away and do all that research about how how they live, how they breed, how they die. And 
lots of those facts go into the novel. Yeah. I can tell you loads and loads of octopus facts if you want it. Well, there's a couple. <laughs> um, they have um, three hearts. They have a brain shaped like a donut, which their intestines run through the middle of. And they have a beak right in the middle so that they can crush shells, crab shells or whatever to eat. You don't usually see their beak. That's hidden right in the centre of their arms. And they have arms and not tentacles. And they can fit through a hole. Their bodies are so mobile and so fluid. They can fit through a hole that is no bigger than their eye or their beak, which is, you know, very, very small, really. They're fascinating. I could tell you more, but that's not what we're here for. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Listening to Little Atoms, I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Claire Fuller, and we're talking about her new novel, The Memory of Animals. And Claire, we were just talking about your research into into the octopus before we broke, and I wanted to talk about your pandemic. Tell us about what it does and where that comes from. The pandemic in The Memory of Animals is to do with water retention. Uh, so it's a virus that is airborne. But the so kind of a bit like COVID, but the symptoms are a swelling in the body. So your organs swell with water. And the first phase of it is not necessarily fatal. Lots of people do recover, but then there is a, it mutates and then it affects the brain. So it's a kind of encephalitis. I think that's how you say it. So brain swelling, and that just starts wiping people out. And once as a kind of critical number, so that the, um, you know, kind of the national services of hospitals and doctors and police and are no longer are available, that everything starts falling apart and the the um, supermarkets are raided and then there isn't any food. And Nephi and these four people that she's with are stuck inside their unit. So although in a way it's a 
pandemic novel because that's what's keeping them there. Most of the time, they aren't in the middle of the pandemic. They are sometimes watching from the windows or various other characters are telling Nephi what they've seen. So it's not it's not the kind of pandemic novel where where the characters are out there and trying to survive. They are it's almost more of a kind of locked room mystery almost um rather than a pandemic novel. And we won't go into too much detail about what happens but tell us something about those four other people that she's sharing the uh, the unit with. Yeah, there's Leon Piper, Yahiko and Rachel. Um, And they're all in their 20s because those are generally the kind of people or the age of people who are accepted on vaccine trials, as I discovered. And it's in the trial is in London. And usually these trials take people from nearby. And so these are they're all Londoners apart from um Nephi, although she has been living in London with her boyfriend. And so I wanted, it was really important to me to kind of try and make it a multicultural novel in terms of those characters. So Leon is mixed race. He has a white mother and a black father. Piper is is white and middle class. Yahiko is at the richer end of the scale and he he's also mixed race and Rachel is white and has a father who's in prison. So I I really kind of wanted a range and they all have come to the unit for different reasons and they all spend their time doing different things and they all want Nephi to do something slightly different. So when Nephi is alone with each of them, they kind of tell her things differently than when they're all together. It was quite fun playing with them all and working out who they all were. And Leon has previously worked, before this all happens, has worked for a company that has developed this product, the the Revisitor. Um, so tell us again what that is. Yeah, I and mean, it's partly his his company. He set up this company with some other people um, and developed the Revisitor and what it allows certain people to do is to access their memories and go back to them and experience them fully. So revisit their memories. So in the way that if you think about your memory, um, a particular memory now, it's quite set, people's memories. You know, you, you remember kind of one particular thing, one moment, the temperature, the colour, whatever it is. And that doesn't really change. It's very difficult in the real world to access any other bit of that memory unless you, you know, do some kind of, um, I don't know, hypnosis or something. But this revisitor allows you to access the memory fully as the person you are now. So it's almost like kind of time travel. You revisit your memory and you have access to everything. So even things that you don't remember or you thought you didn't remember, you can see it anew and you can you are inside your body as your younger self. So you experience those feelings, but with the knowledge of your older self. And so you can you look at the world differently. Nephi sees things in a different way because she's adult. If she's revisiting as a child, she understands more about perhaps what the adults are saying to her that she didn't really get the first time. 
And what else does it mean for her to use this? Because the novel also plays with sort of themes of guilt and grief as well. Yeah, so she's she's travelling back. She's revisiting periods, especially with her father, who has kidney disease and needs a transplant. And she, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but um, she volunteers to uh, give him one of her kidneys. And that, that whole sequence of events doesn't kind of work out so well. And she re-experiences the guilt. And even though she that that is a, a a bad feeling for her she becomes i guess addicted to the revisitor because it's even if she's revisiting difficult times from her history that is so much better to see her family her father her mother um her stepbrother her stepmother to see those people again in what feels like real life than to be in this unit with these four strangers while there is a pandemic going on. So so the revisiting becomes dangerous in itself and she needs to be kind of weaned off it. And one more thing, and then I'll get you to, to read us a bit of the novel, if you would. You mentioned earlier that you, you loved apocalyptic books, novels. Tell us some of those which might have been an influence on this novel. Oh, I don't think there are any that w- I would say are a direct influence because I I didn't really reread any for it. I wanted it to kind of stand alone. But um, if I think of some of those that I've loved, I think probably my favourite is always um, The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Um, what else? There's uh, Zed for Zachariah. Can't even remember who that's by, um, which I really loved. There's a book called uh, Into the Forest by Jean Higland, which is about two sisters who survive an apocalypse and they're in the forest on their own and a stranger comes. I've read as many as you like. Blindness by Jose Saramago. But that's quite an interesting one because it is about a disease that turns everybody blind for a limited amount of time. And these groups of people are put in this hospital blind without anyone looking after them. And oh, terrible things happen. But it's an amazing book. And so to finish it off, can I get you to read us a bit? Yes. I don't think this needs any explanation. I I hope not. But um, it is just a little way through the novel when Nephi is beginning to wake up after she's been given the vaccine. My phone has run out of battery. I lean out of the bed almost at falling point, following the wire to plug it in. Rest. I swing my legs over the edge of the bed and search around for the TV remote. Pat the bed covers, remember that there isn't one. I see a glimpse of my skin between top and shorts, purple bruising on my sides and belly as though I've been kicked repeatedly. It's sore when I press it. My shorts are wet and the sheet is wet too, but I don't smell anything. I tug the sheet off, resting after each movement, and push it under the bed with my toes. The plastic mattress is clammy. It will do. I sit. Telly on, I say, and it comes out as a croak. But the screen on the wall miraculously wakes, perhaps only to be polite. Some sitcom is showing with canned laughter. Channel one, I say. The television power button flashes, but the programme doesn't change. Channel three, I say, 
and the picture switches to an almost identical sitcom, except that the characters are black and American. Channel 4 is showing horses, those white ones from the Camargue, galloping through water. I skip through the channels, Sky and even CNN, which has a static picture of a CNN building and scrolling text that reads, An update will follow shortly. I leave it on this. The blinds on the exterior window are still up, and it's day outside. Is it morning or afternoon? All the toast and tea has been eaten and drunk, although I don't recall finishing it, and the plate and the cup are still there. I pause on the side of the bed, gathering strength, then stand and go to the window, and when I look to the east, the sun is rising over London. At the end of the alley I see movement, and I tense for what might be coming, but as I watch, a fallow deer trots around the corner. It's young and long-legged, the spots on its orange coat easy to see. It stops below my window to look about and scratch behind its ear with a hind hoof, and then something must scare it, because with a flick of its tail, it's off. Across the alleyway, Sophia's blinds are up, but her apartment is dark. She has written me a message. Yes, I am here, spelt H-E-A-R. I register the mistake, but I'm confused by what she's written, until I read the last one I stuck up that I don't remember writing. Are you there? I rest against the wall, legs weak and shaky, and turn back to my room to see the muddled duvet, a pillow under the bed with my dirty sheet, my water jug empty. A towel lies on the bathroom floor, my toothbrush beside it. No one has been in to clean to take my pulse or my blood, to bring me food, to ask me my name and date of birth. So I've been talking to Claire Fuller. We've been talking about her new novel, The Memory of Animals, which is out now in the UK from Penguin Fig Tree. Claire, thanks so much for taking the time to tell me about it. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been great fun. This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by Acast and published by 89up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening. <laughs>